sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. I'm Simon Rose, and now it's time for the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. And uh, Ross Mould is taking a break for the summer. But I'm delighted that Tim Price, Director of uh, Price Value Partners, is able to join me. Um, Tim, I asked before we actually started this in an email what we we're going to talk about. And you said, well, there is only one story in town. So what is that? Yeah, I think the only story in town right now is inflation. Um, and as someone who has very little um, respect for central bankers, they're all pretending to tell us that it's all transitory and it's a sort of a flash in the pan. I think the next few months is going to show that it's anything but that. It's, it's going to be endemic and it's going to be set in and it's baked, baked into the economy now. I mean, many people have almost no experience of more than a tiny bit of inflation. And indeed, many people will tell us, particularly the same central bankers that you don't necessarily have much faith in, that a, a little bit of inflation is not necessarily a bad thing. So what's the problem? So I, I would I would hew to classical economics or what's sometimes called um, Austrian economics. And the view there is that inflation is not a rise in prices or services per se, it's an expansion in the money supply. Uh, that's core inflation. And what we talk about is things like CPI, RPI, is a second-order manifestation of that increase in the money supply. So all you need for that increase in, in latent money, if you like, to become inflationary is that it's, the velocity of money starts to pick up. In other words, that the money starts to circulate more widely in the economy. And it seems to me a pretty much done deal that if you're slowly rescinding the lockup provisions, which is seems to be the case over the coming weeks, then the velocity of money is going to pick up as people get back to work and start doing stuff, doing normal stuff, and the economy slowly picks itself off the floor. Um, and we're going to see. And I don't also don't believe that the, the inflation measures that the US and the UK government tell us are inflation are actually true. I think they're um, I think they're, they're they're confected inflationary measures that understate the real rate by some margin. Either way, I think we're in for a lively period of of higher, stickily, messily higher than inflation than we're used to. And I think the appropriate historical analogue would be the late 1970s. Um, many people will not have any recollection of the 1970s. I mean, you and I probably do. But but, but why, why was inflation such a, a, a problem? What well, I was, I, was, I, was only, I was only a kid in the, the 70s. I was born in 69, so I can only vaguely recall, and not really from an economic perspective, mm. purely really from a cultural perspective, what the 70s was like. But as a quick historical reminder, we had two oil price shocks in the early to mid-70s. Um, we also had the, but probably the most damning um, historical event was the 1971 so-called Nixon uh, gold shock. So the, the, com the combination of the, the cost of the Vietnam War to the US economy and also Johnson's big state policies, so welfareism basically, meant that at the time prior to 71, um, the dollar was convertible to gold. So what happened as inflation picked up in the US and the purchasing power of the dollar declined, foreign central banks started to besiege the US with orders to redeem their dollars and exchange them for gold. And now gold has value, dollars don't. There's the bottom line, because ultimately any paper currency is worthless by comparison to gold. So under pressure from all of that foreign selling, notably from the French central bank, the, 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 the US authorities in 1971 cancelled convertibility to gold. And what that means is that the rot set in in our global monetary system and our global currency system basically about 50 years ago. 
And since then, we what then happened in fairly short order afterwards, we had sort of you know, flare-ups in the Middle East. We had two OPEC oil embargoes. The price of oil went through the roof. Um, and then we had social disorder, the rise of trade unionism in the UK. So that led to things like three-day week, energy crises. And the long and the short of it was you had stagflation. So you had a combination of messily high inflation, but actually little or no economic growth, which is, as you can appreciate, is basically an economic disaster. Um we were told at the time of the financial crisis um, that the um, policy of, of QE, quantitative easing, was going to cause inflation. But certainly as far as you know, prices in the shops are concerned, that was not necessarily the case. So why didn't that cause inflation? I mean, at the time, of course, we thought QE was absolutely massive. But I think, as you pointed out in your commentaries, um, compared to what's been happening more recently, that perhaps it's just a, a drop in the ocean. Yeah, I think that the the, re, the main way of explaining why QE wasn't the explicit inflationary trigger that many of us thought it was going to be is because you have to appreciate there are two factors involved in in terms of money, in terms of the world of money, the money, money supply and the banking system. So you had central banks furiously pouring, um, turning the taps on to try and to try and reflate. Um, the economy. But at exactly the same time, you had commercial banks, private banks, high street banks, basically, they pulled the plug, um, because they were desperate to sort of reset their balance sheets and delever. And the thing to appreciate is that if, for example, you you personally say pay down, pay off your mortgage, that destroys money, it causes the, the money supply to contract. So whereas the central banks were expanding money, uh, commercial banks, which is the other side of the coin, were contracting money. So net net, we didn't see that pickup in inflation that that some of us expected to see. So QE did not have the immediate inflationary pressure that we feared. That said, the game has now moved on to the extent that what the governments and central banks are now doing is pretty much pumping money directly into the economy and bypassing the banks. So in other words, we've gone from uh, monetary policy being in the ascendancy to fiscal policy now being in the ascendancy, that I think is ma- is likely to make inflation much more of a, a problem. Let's just pause for breath for a moment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. Um, before we talk about what investors might be able to do to protect themselves, if indeed there is anything they can do, um, when we go through a period where, first of all, we have uh, globalisation, which helps make goods cheaper um, we have technology which basically makes it easier to do things all the time um, we should really be seeing falling prices and should have seen falling prices for a long time in the way that we did during the 19th century what why why haven't we seen falling prices more than we otherwise would do and why are central bankers so terrified of of deflation so it's a good thing for most of us isn't it well it depends whether you're a asset rich or asset poor whether you're a debtor or a creditor so for, for the last 20 years, my colleagues and I have been concerned about the rise of particularly globe, global government debt, but also corporate debt and household debt. If you accept our thesis that there is simply too much debt in the world, then you then have to accept that there's only three ways of dealing with that debt overhang. One way is that you engineer enough economic growth to keep the debt serviced. I think that's now impossible. The second way out of the predicament is that you default on the debt, or if you would like to be more polite, you can call it a restructuring or a debt jubilee. But since we operate in a credit-based monetary system, uh, a default by any major government, let alone multiple governments, would be economic Armageddon. So then you get to what's in box number three. What's in box number three happens to be the 
uh, the outcome to which every heavily indebted government throughout all of recorded history has resorted, and that box is called inflationism. So you have a policy of state-sanctioned inflationism to inflate away the real value of the debt. That's great news if you're heavily indebted, i.e. a government. It's not such great news if you're a saver or a pensioner or someone on a fixed income, because it means that the value of your money is being eroded, and there's a good chance that the value of your portfolio is going to get decimated. And the reason why governments are so terrified of deflation is because in a world of deflation and falling prices and a contraction of money, the real value of your debt burden gets higher, not lower, and ultimately you go bust. You know, savers and those on a fixed income haven't exactly had a great time for the last decade or two. No, for sure. Anyway. I and mean, this is this is why I'm a, I mean, I would describe myself first and foremost as a libertarian and secondly, as a believer in hard money and sound money. And so the, the I mentioned the, the classical slash Austrian school earlier, the belief of the Austrian investors, and there's, there's very few of us left, is that basically the, the economy should be run on sound money and there should be small government. And again, people should be basically left to their own devices. And the tragedy of our time is that those none of those three facets uh, are available in our culture. Um, you talk about financial Armageddon as a possibility. I mean, one's instinct is then we'll have nothing to do with financial markets at all. But of course, no, I th- no, I cash, think cash itself is 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 pretty pretty ropey. So what on earth, if investors are worried? I mean, to a, to a greater or lesser extent. Um, how on earth should they try and protect themselves? Because presumably, when, when the markets finally wake up to the fact that this is happening and that the central bankers are wrong and it's inflation is not transient, it's going to be stronger than perhaps we could have imagined. I mean, presumably the markets will take fright. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, the, the markets are, uh, let's say, somewhat in in, in a bit. It's a bit like they're sort of in the thrall of a, of a magician at the moment or a wizard that sort of transfixed everybody through sort of the sleight of hand. Um, my sense is that. One of the best Austrian or classical economists was a gentleman by the name of Ludwig von Mises. Mm. And Mises was active in the 1920s in Austria, and he had first-hand example of the Weimar hyperinflation, which is one of the most terrifying things that's ever happened in the European um, markets. And as a result of that, he, he was acutely aware of the dangers of basically un, unchecked central banking intervention in the financial system and the money, money supply. And he warned of something called the, what he termed the crack-up boom. The crack-up boom is what happens when the people wise up to the fact that, that money is being inflated away, that money is being created ex nihilo and is being basically tested to destruction, which is what we're seeing now. And so people rush to convert their cash and their savings into something more tangible. They convert it into anything that isn't money. So they convert it into anything that's not paper. They convert it into real assets. They buy commodities. They buy property. They buy, in some cases, shares. The one thing you don't buy in the crack at boom, if, like me, you believe we're at the early stages of one, the one thing you don't buy is debt. The one thing you don't buy is bonds. Mm. So within our business, the one asset class that we have not touched for several years now is any form of debt. We do not like the the the, the outlook for for whether it's government bonds or corporate bonds, um, because if you believe that inflation is going to be on the rise, then the one historical thing that's pretty much an iron law in finance is that if inflation goes up, then ultimately central banks have to raise interest rates sooner or later. They'll ha- they'll be behind the curve inevitably because they always are because they're all idiots. But sooner or later, interest rates have to go up. And the iron law of finance is that if interest rates go up, bond prices go down. So the one thing you do not want to own right now, in our in our opinion at least, is bonds. Um, you talk about the Weimar hyperinflation. That was largely restricted to, to Germany. The world is far more interconnect, interconnected now than it was then. 
and as you point out, it you know it's not just one government or it's everybody or, it, or or you know one. It's, it feels like it's everybody. Country. I mean, yeah. you know, corporate debt, personal debt, government debt. It's not just restricted to one country. Surely, it's almost every developed country, sure. isn't it? So you wonder whether actually one one thing that is happening in the world right now is it's almost as if the central banks are combining or concerting their activity to to, to trash the system and then replace the existing monetary order with perhaps. I would suggest central bank digital currency as a, as a as a new currency system. The idea that monetary systems are fixed in stone is 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 not true. As I've already highlighted, we had a, a completely different monetary system globally but as recently as 1971, and then that changed. Monetary systems do tend to have a shelf life of around 30, 30 or so years. We are overdue for a, 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 the introduction of a new one, uh, and perhaps this is what the central banks of the world are now are now sort of combining to do i would be strongly resistant to that but at the end of the day it's not my call uh, tim i know we're going to talk again next week so we'll return to the subject in more detail then but uh, i have been in conversation with tim price director of price value partners looking at the financial outlook for personal investors and i say tim will be back next week sharing ideas about money this is share radio